Welcome to the Atlanta Football Party, your home for the best Georgia Bulldogs football talk. It's local insight you can't get anywhere else but right here at Locked On. So I'm your host, Tanitra Batiste. Alongside me for the ride are Jarvis Davis and Brent Rollins. This Atlanta Football Party is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So guys, let's go ahead and get the party started. Let everybody know what you learned today. Now, for me, this was an interesting thought because this was the first time in the Kirby Smart era at UGA that the Bulldogs came back from a 10-point deficit in the first quarter for what was their eventual 27-20 win over Auburn. So, Brent, what did you learn this week about Georgia's offense in that win against Auburn? Uh, Carson Beck is really comfortable on third down. Uh, he played insanely well on third down. The money down, obviously, 8 of 10, 115 yards. PFF uh, passing grade of 91.4 on third down. So, like, you do that when you – and that's – you needed every single one of those conversions for the most part uh, because of the way the game went. Yeah. That was what I learned. How about you, Jarvis? I, I would probably have to go with the, the offensive line. I, I, I feel like – Michael Morris is starting to really establish himself. I know Dylan Fairchild, they've been kind of swapping out. I want to I wanna get to a space where they make a decision on that, and I really feel like Michael Morris in this game, he made a case for, you know, solidifying that left side of the offensive line because I feel like in the second half of that game, those guys were able to get up to the second level. He and Green, they were working real in, in real conjunction with each other as far as on those outside zone runs and stuff like that. And I think Dejan Edwards was able to cut off those guys and, and get up in field. And you saw it on that touchdown run in the second half. It, it's just, it just feels like that's a, a better combination um, right here. But we will see if Kirby Smart feels the same because I, I feel like, you know, as great as it was to see, you know, Carson Beck and Brock Bowers connection kind of grow in that second half to the tune of seven catches for 148 yards and a tug, <laughs> you know, I, I really feel like, Kirby Smart wants to be able to run the football at will because that is the thing that, you know, he's built this team around. He has those big uglies, as they like to refer to him as, and say, hey, we want to be able to establish ourselves up front and then work into the passing game and then, you know, bring all the pretty toys out and get those, put those to work as well. And I think you need to have that because if you do find yourself down by double digits, you don't want to give that, to the other, to the defense of your opponent as something to take advantage of, meaning, hey, in order for them to battle back and get in this game, they're going to have to be one dimensional. They're just going to have to throw the ball to get back in. And Georgia showed you on Saturday that they didn't have to. They could still be a multifaceted offense and get themselves back in the game and then win a game and win it by virtue of, like you said, the otherworldly Brock Bowers, which, hey, that's my lesson on offense. It's a constant weekly reminder of just how freakish good Brock Bowers is, but also if you're in a pinch and you need to get it done in a grimy, gutted out type of way, Georgia can actually do that too. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment because you wonder that's kind of living on the edge, but still it's good to be on the other side, on the winning side of that, right? Because there were moments where you thought, oh, wow, is this going to be that week where maybe the offense doesn't show up like right down there in the crucial time frame in that last quarter or so, if you will. And they actually did. So that's what I learned about them. They showed resilience again. And they also showed you that no matter what, they always still have the absolute positive best player on the football field, if not the best player in the country in their stable on offense. Now, Jarvis, 
the defense, man, defense did some damage too. What'd you learn about Georgia's defense in this win against Auburn? Javon Bullard is really good at playing tackle football. Um, the, the way this man just was breaking on the ball and coming up and make tackle, making tackles and you just see the difference in this secondary, right? You know, how they how they play play with each other. And like he and Malachi Starks and Taki Smith, you know, Taki Smith had some some instances where it was like, all right, now what you doing now? You need to get get on point because I feel like Javon Bullard, you know, coming back into this lineup, it, he raises the standard, right? Like he he's that guy that he can be that playmaker for you. And of course, Malachi Starks is out of worldly when he when he's he's playing that safety spot as well. So when you have the combination of those two guys back there, I really feel like you understand, you know, why Auburn wasn't able to get that passing game going. Now granted, it's not that great in the first place. <laughs> you know, Peyton Thorne throwing the football. You know, when they were forced to throw that football and they had the had that got the ball on the drive after Georgia scored, I was just like, there's no way that Peyton Thorne is gonna be able to march these guys down the field and score on this defense. Because I really feel like they had some guys that that's that on, on the back end of the defense that can make plays. And I thought it was just fitting that Malachi starts picked the ball off to end the game. Very much so. In terms of learning, though, I think obviously Auburn was able to, you know, they were one-dimensional offensively. They could only run the football, yet yeah. they were able to do it very successfully. Now, the quarterback run game brings a whole other element to things in terms of defense, but you don't have playmakers along the defensive front. And what does that do to me? That amplifies linebacker play. Yeah. And it was a struggle so true. Uh, this, this past weekend. <laughs> and I think it's going to be something where you look at even moving forward this weekend against Kentucky, that's sort of a sort of position group of, Hey, let's, let's raise the bar a little bit. Let's raise the level a bit because again, you don't, when you don't have guys that just win one-on-ones and make tackles, a la what you've had in the past with Carter Davis, Wyatt, all those guys, it just, it makes those linebackers be almost perfect in terms of reads and being in spots they need to be. And it wasn't the case this past weekend. You need it to be the case this weekend coming up against uh, Kentucky. And yeah. I, to add to that, uh, um, Brent, if I may, the Jamon Dumas Johnson, I think, is the uh, the epitome of what you're talking about. Because there was one particular play where the guard, you know, a lot of times, man, like football is, can be so simple sometimes. I really feel like people, like, like if I can quote Randy McMichael, I got to, you're like, <laughs> Like, I think not only do coaches make it hard, I think football players make it hard as well because, like, it's, it's simple football one-on-one. If that guard uh, comes around, pulls around, more than likely that play, that's where he's going. If you follow the guard, he's going to go right where you need to go. And I think there was some, there was some hesitation in this game. You know, and that's why I really feel like they were able to get out on the edge. That's why we saw – uh, Peyton Thorne get, run, run the ball down the field for what, 61 yards, you know, and just get on the edge consistently. And then, then you had Robbie coming in as well as the backup quarterback. He was out there running the, running the rock as well. So when you have – you put that type of stuff on tape, it is – teams are going to do that. And guess what? Like you said, Kentucky, they're coming. And Ray Davis had the game of his life last week against um, Florida – and you know that they're going to be implementing whatever they can to emulate what Auburn was able to do. So I think, you know, the, the, the linebacker is going to be tasked this week. The spotlight was on them, you know, given how that front is not playing like, like you mentioned, Brent, like up front. Like this is going to – the pressure is going to continue to rise for these guys. And they're going to have to either step up or step aside because 
once that tape is out there, people are going to emulate it over and over and over again to try to take advantage of it. But maybe the one guy that made the case for, hey, we're still linebacker you at the end of the day, but we know our mistakes. We know we're going to have to get prepared to do better against the run and just do better overall. It's probably Smile Mondon. He, of course, was the SEC Defensive Player of the Week, 11 tackles, seven of which were solo, got a sack and a couple tackles for loss. So I feel like for me, it was good to kind of see him step up and also even post game to challenge his team, like immediately say, hey, I know we, we didn't do what we were supposed to do as a unit, but trust, we know who Kentucky is. We know they're coming for us and we're going to be ready come this Saturday. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what that linebacker core does in this coming week. Now, one of the things we talk about every single week, guys, is the evolution of this team and its identity, whether it is blowing a team out or whether it's a close call like against Auburn this past Saturday. So my question to you guys is, New week, new word, or okay, Brent. Brent's like, yeah, I got one. Give got it to me. I got a new word this week. To me, the word of the week is unfazed. Ah, you've you've yes. now been, you've had double digit deficits in two games. This one on the road in that environment, which is otherworldly in terms of the environment. Oh and, yeah. And again, unfazed. And, I, and that's the quarterback. That's his. You watch him. You watch his demeanor. Everything about him. He's here mm-hmm. all the time. Always sort of level headed. Level headed, and that's I think that's the word of the week. Unfazed. I, like I would have it. to go with composure. Like, like for them to be, like you said, down on the road in the atmosphere down there, Jordan Hare Stadium, it was it was electric. And, and Kirby Smart even said as such after the game, he's like, Hey, shout out to them because they they brought it. The fans, Auburn fans brought it. And like to be able to go out and get a win on in the SEC on the road is not easy. And, and and I and I think that you know you saw Carson Beck make that big third and twelve um, throw to uh, 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 um, Rock Bowers, and I really feel like he was taking it to another level as far as throwing, throwing leading those guys to water to make sure they drink. Right, he was putting it on the back shoulder. He was throwing it to you know where not leading them into coverage and throwing it away from coverage. And I think like yeah, Carson Beck grew up in this game, so yeah. I think composure is the word for me that kind of speaks to where Georgia is right now coming into another SEC matchup. Yeah, and I probably would use gritty because I don't know if any of their wins have been pretty per se, but this is probably one that was the ugliest and kind of the grimiest, if you will. But if you can gut it out, sometimes that's the character builder that helps you to really turn the corner, that helps you to evolve into what you're going to be. So yeah, I just kind of saw them as a team that, hey, wow, even in a tough time in a situation where a Kirby smart team has never prevailed. Like I said, with that 10 point deficit in the first quarter, this team did because I just, they just have a different kind of grit and a different kind of griminess about them. So we'll get between the hedges and dig a little bit deeper in the minute, of course. But if you want to know what to wear, when you're still trying to keep that summer body through fall and winter, when you're working out, I'm telling you, I just worked out in these yesterday, but Jarvis can really tell you how amazing it is to have your bird dogs. Folks, I want to let you know that this episode of the Atlanta Football Party is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Bird Dogs people, they are big man approved. What does that mean, Jarvis? That means that they are comfortable and fitting, and they shows off your thighs like all you big guys out there. I know you've been working out. You've been feeling good about yourself. Get yourself a pair of Bird Dogs because they are absolutely amazing. I'm talking about not only can you get your workout on, like T mentioned, you can dog. 
to the dog on a place to love golf. You can go out for an even night on the town. Like they just all fitting. You know what I'm saying? Like they just fit around you. They fit well, and they fit any occasion. Because guess what? You know you don't want to be wearing all these stiff behind khaki shorts that they selling out here. Go get yourself a pair of bird dogs. You know what I'm talking about? You go work out. You can even go to the gym in these bad boys. So, yeah, you, there are so many things you can do when you got yourself a bird dog. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to go to birddogs.com slash locked on or in the promo code locked on at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order. That's birddogs.com slash locked on for a free water bottle at checkout. You won't want to take your bird dogs off. I promise you. Yeah, I can co-sign on that. They are by far the most comfortable and very much a utility type of short because you've got all these little zipper parts and everything. So if you want to put your phone in there, or in my case, maybe a mirror, but whatever, don't judge me. But yeah, anything you want to take into the gym, I, the bird dogs are simply amazing. Now I'm going to channel my inner Aerosmith from 1993 because sometimes Brent, when I watch Georgia, Although, like I said, gritty and grimy they are, but sometimes they can make you a little nervous because it kind of feels like they live on the edge. So, of course, they got by South Carolina a couple of weeks ago and they eked one out against Auburn this past Saturday. And like I said, living on the edge as it feels like sometimes, are you concerned about that? Like, can they continue doing that, especially as they go deeper into conference play? Outside of Vanderbilt, I would think the rest of their schedule is actually going to be like that unless one thing happens. The only way that that changes to me is obviously health. I think if you, you keep getting yeah. healthier, you get Mary Smith's back, you get other guys back potentially. But your offense has to step on the gas early. And you have yet to see like seven, through five games, Georgia 17, opponents 17 in the first quarter. Like you haven't stepped on the gas early and force teams into throwing the football, which is, guess what, the strength of your defense. The strength of your defense is your secondary. It's not the front six. So you mm -hmm. step on the gas early offensively, efficient, score, put the ball in the end zone early. Okay, now we can start looking at potentially extending leads and you know being a little more comfortable in some of these victories. Until then, I think almost every game is going to be like that. Yeah. And I think, I think it starts with Mike Bobo, I feel. Uh, you got to be a little aggressive. Like we talked about how, you know, how they were throwing the ball on first down in, in the clip, that, the pace that they were on, you know, and like as far as being tops in the SEC and, do, and doing that, they have to continue to do it because, you know, given how the running game is going now, granted, I feel like Dejan Edwards obviously is the guy that, you know, they could be able to get you some yards when, when need be. I uh, talked about earlier as far as the offensive line starting to get some cohes cohesiveness. With, you know, Amarius Mims, uh, Mims, excuse me, on the mend, uh, I, I really feel like there is some, there, I feel like there's some momentum there because this offense looks really good when they're getting the ball to Brock Bowers, uh, Ra Ra Thomas, and Dominique Lovett. And we even got a, a Lad McConkey sight, sighting last, last week as well. That was great to see. They were able to get him the ball. You can still see that, you know, Carson Beck still kind of got to know how to get him the ball. Because, you know, hey, he's he's a different type of guy. He's a little bit shorter wide receiver. So, you know, you can't throw the ball to him like you threw Ra Ra or a, a guy like Dominic Lovett. So there's some different little cohesion, cohesion that they have to get going in that particular relationship. So I really feel like Mike Bobo can need to get the ball to those in those balls and the get the guy get the ball in the guy's hands early on. Early and often, like like Brent mentioned. And 
when you when you start to do that, then you can loosen up that that run defense because hey, a lot of times like hey, if you're getting absolutely murdered when their team is throwing the football, that means you're gonna play coverage, right? So and then that means you're gonna have light boxes, and if you have light boxes, then you can start to get that run that run game going and, and, and start running up in there too. And, and you not you have to really take too many chances in throwing the ball down the field because you have guys you can hey. You throw one of those you know, those hot screens out, out in the flat and, hey, and let those guys go to work if they're out there playing man coverage on early downs because they're trying to play a stop the run. So there's so many things that I feel like Mike Bobo can do to continue to be aggressive. With. And the good thing about it is we've seen it before. We've seen it in the second half of games when the offense is struggling and trying to get into the end zone. So I really feel like – Mike Bobo is going to be the reason why this team starts fast. Like, he has to come out there and be aggressive, regardless of how Kirby Smart may feel about how he, him running the football consistently and sticking with that, with that mantra. But you, have, you just have too many weapons on offense that we've seen be successful and, and put, um, have been productive for you to just sit back and just go run, run, pass, run, run, pass and to start off games. You just can't do that anymore. But what are your thoughts on that? Because I know that there is, you know, it seems like it goes week to week, almost maybe even quarter to quarter where it's, well, let me just be honest. You don't really hear one quarter. Yay, Mike Bobo, one quarter. Oh, Mike Bobo. Really, you hear about three quarters of damn Mike Bobo. And then you might hear about one quarter of like, oh, okay, he's all right. But I mean, what are your thoughts on, especially as we're talking about the evolution of the identity of the team itself, as far as the players go, how is that relative to what Bobo is doing? How can he evolve to help this identity of this offense in particular evolve? Uh, I mean, I think they could, in terms of improvements, diversify yeah. the run game a little bit in terms of scheme. You know, they heavy counter team a year ago. Mm-hmm. That's kind of disappeared a little bit. And a lot of it might be pers- personnel, things that they see in practice that we don't. But overall, the guy's doing a phenomenal job. And Carson Beck is – the yardage is there. What happened this past weekend? You turned the ball over. Like you mm-hmm. gave it to them two times. You do that, like anything's possible when you give the other team the ball. They hadn't done that up to this game. And then the you know, first play of the second half, you dealt fumbles the ball on the quick pass. So there's yardage you can't get, points you can't get. So take care of the football and I think get through this weekend. Like this weekend mm-hmm. becomes beyond major for every, anything yeah. and everything, given how the rest of the schedule sets up, sets, mm-hmm. sets up. This is the game of the season beyond without a shadow of a doubt for me. Yeah. And I like that you mentioned that because, Brent, we talked about that definitely last week, maybe even the week before of waiting to see what Carson Beck would do when he made a mistake. Like, would he still be, you know, kind of tentative, if you will, uh, in terms of trying to be overly protective or overly conservative about how he played. But when you have those two turnovers and yet you just keep coming, you keep coming, that speaks to also the growth and the evolution you guys talked about in, you know, how he approaches the game. And that could also be one of the factors that could open up this offense a little bit more. Two particular plays that showed a lot of what you're talking about, because to me, Beck right now is playing the game at an exceptionally high level. He's not controlling the game yet in terms of yeah. manipulating defense and mm-hmm. you know, getting everything involved to do where he wants to do it or make the throw that he wants to. But he's what's being called, he is executing it at a phenomenal level. But the two throws for me that where it's like, okay, that's the step up, the playmaking that we've talked about in the past was the one the Bowers in the end zone that he actually dropped. 
that went through yes. his hand. Yeah. Like, <laughs> ten, second ten, so agree. Second ten, but he he had a little bit of pressure and gave him a chance. Like yes. go give him a chance all day every day. And then the play late that Bowers turned around and made as the one handed catch. Like that is that was the only where place that ball had had to be, and he made it. And that's what you have. You have Superman on your t- offense. Yeah. Let him go be Superman. And and those are that's the evolution of the playmaking part that we talked about. Agreed. Agreed. And kind of an offshoot of that question as well, Jarvis, I would say, I'm going to give you guys a headline that I saw uh, in the last 24 hours, probably either last night or early this morning. And I thought, Ooh, I got to share this with the guys and kind of get their thoughts too. So a spinoff of our first thought and our first topic, the headline read quote, CFP increasingly unlikely for Georgia. And that's okay. I thought, hmm, that's kind of interesting and kind of strong at this point in this the season. But are the chances for a third straight trip to the playoff really not likely to happen? If so, is that really okay? And have you seen something so far this season that would make you think that? Well, my question, I answer a question with a question. I know all you English majors out there is like, what are you talking about? And then Brent, you know, being a PhD, I know he <laughs> knows probably going to cringe at this one as well. Who going to check me, boo? Like who who's gonna stop Georgia from getting to the the college football playoff? Somebody in SEC East? I mean, I know Kentucky. You know they, they're a formidable opponent. They're five and zero and all that stuff. Yeah, but at the end of the day, we we've come we've come to the point where we're used to Georgia figuring it out. And in in the twenty twenty three Bulldogs, they will figure it out at some point until they don't. And we haven't seen that yet. So I can't sit up here and say, hey. Yeah, they might more than likely they're not gonna maybe be able to make the college football playoffs. Have they lost yet? <laughs> you know, like aren't they on track to be in the SEC championship as we speak right now? So yeah, I don't I don't buy that because if you're telling me well LSU gonna stop them or, or Alabama in the SEC, Alabama make it to the SEC championship, they are gonna stop? No, I don't. I just don't. It's just there's no one on the on the west side of this SEC conference that I can sit here and look at and say you know what. If they make it to the SEC championship, they might, they might got a really good chance of beating Georgia. And we know if Georgia wins the SEC championship with one, one loss, let's just say we give them a loss. Yeah. Like who, who's not voting them in the back-to-back national champions? Because they got the benefit of doubt with the voters. I know they're not supposed to take into consideration what happened in the previous years, but. It's hard, kind of hard not to. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the back to back national championship. Yeah, you got yeah, that right. Like, come on, what are we talking yeah. about? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Who going to check me, boo? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, <laughs> right. Because when I saw it, I said, ooh, I just got to ask the guys this question because it felt like, you know, premature. And and then that part about, is it really okay? Well, no, of course it's not okay. So but the fan, <laughs> the fan base would very much disagree with it being okay. If it happened, they would be mad. And then they'd, sort of think back to the two national championships, but <laughs> I, I will say, I don't, I think the realm of possibilities for this team is endless. Yes. And when I, mm-hmm. and when, and by the way, when I say endless, it's, could they get, have two losses and not make the SEC championship game? I think that could happen. It happen. Like maybe, yeah. Ole Miss can score. Like you get them at home. Yes. But they can score. I, I think you could do the same to them, but you never know that that could be a coin flip game. Missouri is playing a different level of football right now. Like, I, I think they can do some things that can hurt you. Now, in the end, over time, over four quarters, should it happen? No, if you take care of the football. But I like them being 13 and 0 and going to the playoff, 
definitely a possibility. Them being ten, you know, ten and two and missing the SEC championship game, I think also is a possibility. Just because you've seen that there's a lot of really good, not great, but in the end, if you take care of the football and if 19's on the field, you should be there. Yes. Agreed. And not, not only that, Brent, but if you start to add the pieces back that you guys have mentioned, and not just the pieces as in Marius Mims come, comes back completely, but also that Alad McConkie is back and he's 100%, or Javon Bullard when he becomes 100% because you could be playing at probably like 85 or 90 right about now. I think all of those factors, not that other teams won't deal with injury, but ultimately I think those are some factors that have to be taken into consideration as well. So listen, we love to have conversation, but I think Brent said it best. Will Dog Nation be really okay if for some reason the CFP does not happen for UGA? If you guys want to talk more one-on-one Atlanta football party combo, particularly about these dogs and where you see them, what's their identity, your one word for them at week five, Jarvis can tell you how to connect with subtext. Hey, people, listen up. I'm telling you, go to the description in the YouTube, or if you're listening on the audio version of this particular podcast, you can go to the description as well. There is a link in there. Pound that link. Subtext.com slash Locked On Sports Atlanta. Yes, Locked On Atlanta. Excuse me. So, yeah, go there. The link is in there. If you get if you missed it, you missed it up, and you're trying to figure out what it is, all you got to do is go to the YouTube description box, or you can go wherever you download your podcast and check out the description or the summary of this episode, and you can join the party. You'll be able to text with me. Ask me some questions. What you got? about the Falcons or the Bulldogs. We're right here just for you. It's another way to get in contact with the program. Yep, so if you want to have all that conversation, you know how to get to it. It's subtexting. Guys, what's next? Who is next? You know, this Kentucky team is interesting because you could kind of look at them the same way that you look at UGA in terms of the cupcake games, as they call them, until they weren't the cupcake games anymore, right? So Kentucky is also undefeated, but actually in their first sort of test of the season, they rose to the challenge in resoundingly beating Florida, right? So you've got yourselves a formidable opponent coming to Athens this weekend. We've also talked about guys that have slowly but surely started to step up to the plate or guys that are showing like, whoa, this is what we anticipated for them to have uh, to show all along. So that said, who is that guy for you, offense, defense, or both, who you're like, yeah, I'm going to need you to do a next man up situation, going to need you to level up in order for this Georgia team to get this win? Bowers is the easy answer because he's always the correct answer. <laughs> he like, he's the best, like you said, he's the best player in college football, non-quarterback, and he's going to, like, if, if you get in the ball, he's going to control the game. But outside of that, Tyke Smith is the one for me this week. Because what's interesting about Kentucky, because of the way they run the football, George is going to have to actually schematically make decisions about personnel with who they have on the field. And if Tyke Smith's on the field in that star nickel corner role, he's going to have to play near the line of scrimmage a lot and be and tackle really well in this game to keep Kentucky at bay. Now, the, also, the other part, the key X factor in this game to me is Devin Leary with Kentucky because he's just not been accurate with the football. And it's something that's kind of different than what he was while his, during his time at NC state. So does he have like a step up and play this week that you didn't expect? Because Kentucky has playmakers on the outside, but for Georgia specifically it's Tyke Smith for me. Yeah. I would have to go with Jamon Dumas Johnson. Like I know I've called him out before, but I, I really feel like 
Like, believe what you see, man. Like, this is, like I said, this is some thing. There are some things that I feel like he can do in order to be able to make those plays, to make up for, you know, because to be honest with you, up front, I really felt like the Georgia defensive line, they were kind of like teetering between, okay, do I cat mouse this bad boy or do I kind of come crash down and try to spill, make the um, quarterback spill outside? And when we, when I know that that's where they want to go and, and then the whole RPO action and quarterback sweeps, they start running those things and you start having some sex with it. It seems like they didn't quite know what, how to attack it, you know, um, from a, a technique standpoint. So I think, I think that, if Jamon Dumas Johnson, given what that's what's going on up front, I feel like Jamon Dumas Johnson has to be more in in tune with what Kentucky's going to bring to the table. So I think a, a big week of film study for number ten will help will go a long way in in Georgia not being susceptible to the run like they've been, you know, in these past few weeks. Yeah, and I would agree with you guys both in the players that you identified who kind of need to step up, and I'll say kind of overall, I'd like to also see the team kind of step up in terms of playing a clean game, but making Kentucky play a not so clean game. So kind of going along the lines of what Brent said, get them to turn the ball over, you know, win that turnover battle. But also when I say clean on the offensive side of the ball, oh, really the team overall, stay away from penalties. Like that's one thing that I know gets in the craw of Kirby Smart. Like you, these senseless penalties that push the ball back or get you in a situation where you're in third and long or gets the other team in the situation where they're moving the chains where you kind of had them backed up against the wall. So you just, in a game like Kentucky, that could be another close one. You definitely- It's going to be. Right. It's It's always physical and close. Yes. And, And I think that's actually a great point as well, Brent. Like, Every team is stepping into, whether it's between the hedges or whether you're going on the road to meet them, every team is going to step up their game. Every team is going to want to play you with the ultimate brand of physicality that they can bring. And Kentucky's going to be no different, if not the most physical team that Georgia will have seen thus far this season. So, yeah, you definitely want to be prepared for them coming after you in that way. Now, you know, the other thing I thought about, too, was kind of what the focus would be. And I think you guys kind of touched on this, but just kind of to wrap it up in a bow when you look at Kentucky and what they bring to the table, whether that's their strength or their weakness, what's maybe that one thing that you're saying, hey, Georgia, you need to hone in on this because this might just be that thing that gets you the W. Go ahead, Jarvis. <laughs> I would probably, for, for, for me, I feel like being that Kentucky is going to try to shrink this game down, right? They try to, they're going to try to limit Georgia's possessions because we talked about how – Georgia has been susceptible to the run and how that being on tape and teams can kind of emulate what, what teams have been doing has been working against you. Like they also have put 19 on tape. They put five on tape. They put six on tape. So I, I think that, you know, whatever Kentucky can do to limit possessions for that offense, whenever Mike Bobo feels like the need to, to tap into Superman and make um, Brock Bowers go from Clark to Kent, Clark Kent to dog on Superman I really feel like they get, they're going to do that as well. So they're going to as as much as they can limit Georgia's possessions, keep them in that little frail, don't know what who they want to be on offense type of mode. If the longer they can keep Georgia in that, I really feel like Kentucky can possibly put themselves in position to have an opportunity to win this game in the fourth quarter. So I think that's what Georgia's going to have to watch out as well. Not only the teams trying to run the ball, but hey, 
the other, you know, um, run the ball against their defense, but teams actually run the ball on offense so they can limit possessions for that 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 firepower offense that we that we, that they could possibly be. Yeah. And I would say whatever. Oh. Whatever. <laughs> it's in this this is a this to me is a whatever you have to do to survive yeah. this game by one point, by 50 points, by like survive this game in any way possible. I don't care what it, it takes because Vanderbilt the following week, bye week, now you reset. Now you can self-evaluate. All sorts of things can happen after that. Then you get ready for the stretch run, which I think this team kind of mentally needs to get there. Yeah. yeah. And then I just add to that and say, you know, get them in a situation where they're behind the chains because one of the areas where Kentucky is not efficient is on third down, only 42% conversion rate on third downs this season. So get them in a situation where you're forcing them to move the chains themselves. And I think that'll be something that, especially if you could do it down the stretch, that could be critical as well. So we'll, we'll see. This will be an interesting game. I can't wait for us to talk about it next week because, hey, this might be the true test, at least so far this season, the biggest test that the dogs have had. So we appreciate you guys for stopping by the Atlanta football party. You're home for the best Georgia Bulldogs football talk. And, you know, we're also the home for the Braves baseball party on Wednesday. So be sure to join us tomorrow to talk all things Braves. See ya.